Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. We are live streaming this. Well, we're actually recording this, and then this will be edited for YouTube later. Uh, and we're also going to have this on the audio podcast later. But this is a very special show because we are recapping yet another series. Um, and we're doing more of an overview of the series. We won't be able to recap every episode, uh, but we'll give you an overview. And that's the new FX series, Kindred. So I am here with Ryan and Angelica, who moderates these recaps. Hey, Ryan and Angelica, welcome back. Hello, hello. Hello. Well, we're going to go ahead and dive into it. But before before we get into the episode, just want to, you know, throw in some things here. Follow us on Twitch, even though the Twitch channel hasn't really popped off just yet. Follow us anyway. So that way, once we get that channel going, you will be getting those notifications left and right. And you'll get to see some really cool content along the way. And then, of course, subscribe. You know how to do the things. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, and then you can see all of that information down below, our Twitters, our Instagram, all that fun stuff. So, Kindred, it is a new series, which is new for some people, but for us that are familiar with Octavia E. Butler's work, it's very familiar territory. And this is the first time we're actually seeing her work adapted on the small screen. And we're very excited for it. Just a quick shameless plug. <laughs> We've covered many of Octavia E. Butler's works before on Black Girl Nerds. And if you would like to, you can go on to our website and search for Illustrating Butler, the Kindred graphic novel. Now this graphic novel uh, was written a few years back and friend to uh, Black Girl Nerds, John Jennings. Uh, we interviewed him, who's the author, along with Damien Duffy, who we also interviewed. Um, they talked to us about doing that graphic novel. So that was something that came out recently. Um, but probably many of you guys are familiar with the original Octavia E. Butler Kindred novel, which uh, was published back in the 70s. Um, I think, I believe in 1979. Uh, so Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead, hand it on over to Angelica to get started with this recap of Kindred, which I'm sure all of you guys have been waiting for this one. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. So uh, as Jamie said, Kindred, the TV series, is based off the novel, the same name, which you are right, was published in 1979 by Octavia E. Butler, who's considered one of the pioneers of science fiction, and she's also considered like the mother of Afrofuturism. So really excited to see her work come to life on the small screen. Um, brief overview of the book and the series. It's about a woman named Dana in the present day who falls through time and finds herself on a slave plantation. So um, it is not your average slave narrative. There's a time travel science fiction twist to it. There's kind of like a destiny that keeps pulling Dana back to the past. Um, so I feel like after watching the series or if people who've read the books, um, I feel like that they think it'll be a satisfying show. I don't think it's, it's not going to be like torture porn <laughs> watching this show. I don't, I don't think it will. So 
without further ado, um, what were your thoughts on watching this first episode entitled Dana? Ryan, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it was a it was a pleasant surprise for me because at first it was giving me antebellum vibes, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to see a whole TV show on this because you know I love me some Janelle Bonet, but it was just things that didn't come together and and um kind of shocking at times in antebellum. So I was like, I don't know if I want that in a TV show or, or to redo that a little bit. But without the science fiction here for me, I feel like I kind of would have got lost in this series. I don't know if I would have made it to the second episode. So I love that that element that's uh, added into here. So I'm a, I'm gonna go with I'm, I'm in between right now. It's just a, it's just the first episode. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, definitely antebellum vibes for sure. And and that was, I think, sort of the intent of how it was written when Octavia E. Butler first published the novel. Uh, but for me, there was some notable differences in the book versus the episode. Um, and then I, you know, noticed as we get into other episodes, the differences continue. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed in this very first episode uh, called Dana was that her significant other, Kevin, who we know in the books is actually married to Dana and on the show, they are not married. So that was interesting. That's a very interesting change from the books. Um, and then of course, in this story, they've decided to modernize it which I think is a good choice creatively because in the books, I mean, the book was published in the seventies, so it is going to be very dated. So, you know, Dana doesn't have a smartphone. <laughs> she doesn't have internet access in the seventies. So uh, I, I think it's a great creative choice for them to go ahead and modernize it. But, um, but that's, that's a bit of a, a shift, but aside from those um, differences and we'll dig into that a little bit more, um, I actually really enjoyed this episode. It was very suspenseful right at the jump and um, really enjoyed seeing the performances. And I just love the momentum and the pacing of, of the story. So I, I enjoyed it for, for a first episode, for sure. And I would say when Antebellum came out, um, I could not bring myself to watch it. But when I saw the trailers, and I love Janelle Monet, but I just had been traumatized enough by slave narrative. So I was like, I'm going to have to pass on this. But I thought to myself, oh, that looks a lot like Kindred. So, um, and, you know, Kindred obviously predates that. So, yes. you know, shout out to Octavia for bringing that up. And I would say... To me, it also brought comparisons to Outlander, which I know Kendra outdates, predates Outlander as well, but kind of like similar feel, a woman falls through time and, you know, gets pulled back. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. The pacing was good. Um, like you, I like that they modernized it. We weren't set in the 1970s. And, you know, like the fact that Dana was with a white man, that was kind of a little bit more controversial back in the 70s not a big deal now. So, um I liked I like seeing that and as we get into other episodes we see um how her significant other deals with uh <laughs> parts of that interracial relationship but in a different context than we would think. So, let me just get into the episode. Um so we open up with Dana who's played by Mallory Johnson. She's bloody, she's lying on the floor, she's calling for Kevin who's played by Micah Stock. 
Um, he doesn't come. And then she starts to painfully get up. She tries, tries to clean off her wounds. You know, her phone I see is tucked in her underwear. She charges it. She changes her clothes. She takes a salt bath. And then she starts like, looks like she's re-upping on supplies in a bag. And I notice she's gripping it pretty hard. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Um, but for whatever reason, she can't unlock her phone and she's not able to reach out to whoever she's looking for. The police arrived, you know, her neighbors are concerned and they had obviously called, called it in. Um, but Dana doesn't want to come outside. And so the police end up breaking in while she's emailing someone named Denise frantically about returning, but she has an internet connection. So <laughs> despite the fact that she's in the present, she still can't get a hold of anybody. Um, and so two days, so we flash back to two days earlier, um, Dana's watching an episode of Dynasty. She's jotting down an episode recap, which is something I'm very familiar with from doing <laughs> these recaps. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know that format. Um, and she, you know, she gets a reminder on her phone that she has dinner with someone named Denise, the mysterious Denise that she was sending emails to, who's played by Sophina Brown, and she rushes to get ready. So she arrives, she's late. Apparently, Denise is her aunt, and along with Denise is her uncle Alan, who's played by Charles Par Parnell. And Dana reveals, you know, she's in town, she bought a home, and she's moving to LA permanently. Um, Uncle Alan isn't really pleased about that. He's asking, like, how can she afford a house with no job? And she tells them that she sold her grandmother's brownstone back in New York. And, you know, Alan and these kind of give her the third degree. They're very skeptical about her life choices. They chastise her for selling her grandmother's home and buying her house online. They basically fuss her out. Um, and but in the end, you know, Aunt Denise offers to swing by to her new place the following day. And the entire time they're being waited on by this, this you know, good-looking tall waiter who obviously can tell there's a tense discussion. Um, so I'll stop there uh, for your thoughts on that opening and Dana's fussy aunt and uncle. Yeah, that that opening was shocking for real. I, I was like, kudos to them trying to pull you in already. You already start with the eeriness, the suspense, the horror of it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think in the book, she started out in the prologue. She was missing like an arm yeah. when, it, when it started. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was interesting. I was waiting for that arm when she got right. out. Right. I was like, <laughs> how do I feel about the arm versus right now? Because, right, you know, the picture she has right now, you know, when you think about the context, look at the trailer. It looks like it was like she got whipped or something, was laying on the ground. From what I was speaking of, mm -hmm. um, just off the bat, because you know, you got to take all the context clues. I mean, she's saying something, she's all she's bloody on the ground, she lays into the bathtub. So you're like, okay, something, something's going left here. But just the way it pulls you in automatically into the drama where you're already hooked, I gotta give them a huge shout out for that. The the just the cast and crew for, for building that up there. But yeah, I was already I was already to go because I had to know. I was I just wanted to know what was going on. Why does she have all these like you said, Angelica, she's ready to go to war for something. She got something in this bag. So where's she going? Who's she going to fight? So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, that's a good point about the arm. That That's another creative choice that they decided to switch and change from the book. I I, I like the fact that they're making this into like a horror thriller um, because it, it wasn't really much of a horror in the book. Uh, so I I kind of like that that shift in tone. I was freaking out when she couldn't get into her phone and she she put in the the number in too many times and was locked out of her phone. I'm like, oh no, um, <laughs> you need to get Face ID, girl. Uh, <laughs> but 
but yeah, it, this, this first episode was, um, or, you know, that, that moment rather between, um, the scene with Dana and, you know, just trying to figure out what's happening with her in her apartment. And then, yeah, the exchange with her family. I thought that that was really, uh, that that was a really great setup of the relationship that she has with her family, that there's some distance there. And they did a really great way of, um, how can I articulate it? They just did a great way of setting it up and framing it to where we understand that there's some barriers here and that these folks really aren't that close and that there's some ulterior motives involved uh, with this family dynamic. And maybe she moved out to LA because she wanted to get away from some of her family members. Um, um, so some of her other family members. So yeah, I, I think that that was a, a really interesting moment to experience and, and, kind of get that background on Dana yeah and I think um talking about the differences between the book and the series I feel like Dana was more I think she was a little no I think she was still in her 20s in the book it's been a while since I read it but I think she was like more together um this this Dana of the show seems like a hot mess (laughs) so (laughs) I was just like oh they kind of made her kind of like a you know, an underachiever. She dreams of being a writer, but she's not really successful at or hasn't really gotten a real job. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, But yeah, uh, I I, I was feeling for Dana. Like you expect, you know, to let your family know you're in town, you bought a house, you're going to be closer to them. And all they do is like fuss you out. Like who wants to have that conversation? Um, (laughs) So You know, after dinner, her aunt offers her a ride back home and Dana declines. I'm sure she doesn't want to sit through a long car ride with them. And and so she decides to, like, get an Uber. But unfortunately, her phone is dead, so she can't get a ride. Um, She ends up, you know, asking for a charger at the bar. And the bartender can't help her out. But her server, who is Kevin, um, offers her a ride. You know, he says he has a charger in a car, but it'll be faster for him to take her. Um, so they have like a nice little conversation and, you know, they bond over both of them living in New York. He used to be in a band. They both have family members that don't necessarily approve of them. So they kind of have that in common. Um, when they finally pull up to Dana's pad, you know, Kevin's impressed. He thinks it's a nice house. You know, he kind of bids her good night and she like falls out the car. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like a preamble to her falling through time. She falls out the car. She breaks her phone. Like I said, this Dana is kind of a hot mess. Um, as she walks into, you know, to the door, Kevin notices she has like this, these vinyl records that she plans to throw out. And, you know, she's like, yeah, take them. And he's so excited. He's like, Luther freaking Van draws. Like he's just- <laughs> that was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he was just very excited about his new collection. Um, so that night, you know, she's watching another episode of Dynasty and she's kind of going through Tinder. I've been known to do that a time or two, just bored sitting in your house, swiping left on people. Um, and then she ends up matching with Kevin and he matches with her. He slides into her DMs, he sends her cheeky messages, and she smiles and she just goes to sleep. Um, But she ends up awakening on the floor in a strange house where she sees a woman attending to a baby and then the woman leaves. Danny, uh, excuse me, Dana walks up to to the baby's crib. She sees that the baby's face down, you know, the best, you know, back on your back campaign. (laughs) You can't really put a baby on their tummy because they can suffocate. She can see the baby struggling to breathe. So she turns him over on his back and then she hears voices in the hallway. 
She sees the child's mother and another woman arguing over the child's sleeping habits. She's, you know, the 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 black woman is telling the white woman, you can't keep coming down here. You got to let the baby sleep. He'll never, you know, like the cried out method, but before the cried out method ever existed. Um, and then Dana interrupts and says, you know, she turned the baby over. He was struggling in his sleep. And the black woman asks, like, who who's there and who is she? And she responds, it's Dana. And then out of nowhere, the woman begins to scream and rushes towards Dana. And then Dana starts screaming, too. And then she reappears back in her own home. So that was a lot. <laughs> what did you guys think about her, you know, her interactions with Kevin and her falling back into time? I'm just glad Kevin was a good guy because everything that she was doing when she when she took a ride from I was, I was like, girl, you don't get into the car and just go with some random guy that's in the thing, even though he announced himself in the restaurant and all that kind of stuff. So I was just thinking this is going to go left. Something's not right. Something's not going to happen because you guys know I have to read the books afterwards. So I don't read the book yet. So I didn't know who this guy I was. I was just thinking, so she's not going to call Uber, but she get right getting in the car with this random guy. So I thought that was going to go left. Then she falls out of the car. Like she already made it to the destination safely. So, you know, get your keys together, get into the house. She's falling out the car. Good thing he was like mesmerized by the records and everything like that. But it's just anything you not supposed to do with a stranger, Dana's doing. So yeah, she definitely a hot mess. Trying to get her, trying to get herself together. So it's good that Kevin is decent because it's kind of like he's just along for the ride as we we see to go. But Dana, yeah, she's just all over the place. So I, I think that was an interesting dynamic to kind of have them start out that way. And she's kind of like, oh, I don't need these vinyl records. You just go ahead and take those. And he's ready to he's ready to sell them and everything. Um, but yeah, she and I love how she's addicted to Dynasty. Everything comes back to that, and and her trying to like binge watch that as it goes throughout the episode and. And um, now when she gets into that whole dream state, we first see you watching this random place from where she is right now. That was another shocking element to me in the screaming. This is the first time the screaming comes in for me where it just feels like it doesn't stop. Like the screams on the show are piercing, you know, like to say the least when they start. So I think that was one of those shocking moments where it pulls her back. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. Now this is getting real strange. Where was she? So as an audience member, if you don't read, where I was at, that was insane. I was thinking, what is happening right now? You know, that's one of those nightmares that you wake up and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to stay awake for, you know, the rest of the night. I'm good. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's a lot to unpack. I think if, if I can recall correctly, because I'm like you, Angelica, I haven't read the book in a long time. And I did reread parts of the book um, to prep for the show. But I don't quite remember if they really dug into um a flashback showing sort of like the beginnings of Kevin and Dana's relationship um but I think it's kind of nice that we get to see sort of this you know um the little courtship period before the inevitable relationship begins between Kevin and Dana so that that's kind of nice to see that aspect play out in this in this series because I don't think we get that I think the only backstory that I do remember from the book is that her aunt approves of their interracial relationship because she wants a light-skinned niece or nephew uh, wow. and yeah yeah like it there's a colorism issue with her uh and the, uh, her other family members, uh, I, I believe, didn't approve. But but yeah, so that that dynamic is interesting to see that. And I I, I like Kevin. Kevin, the actor Micah Stock that that plays Kevin. I haven't seen him in anything, but uh, 
he he gives me Seth Rogen vibes. I, I don't know. Mm. There's something about his demeanor and the way he sounds when he talks. He's just got this Seth Rogen vibe. And I and I, I kind of like that. He's very appealing in that way. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how this all plays out with the the screaming and stuff. I mean, obviously something that frightens her and anything that's like a high emotional impact triggers her to have these flashbacks and flash uh forwards back into the present um there was something else that i was thinking of mentioning but it completely <laughs> yeah i'm having a senior moment but anyways i'll think about it and i'll get back to you but yeah that, that's all i have to add for this segment all right um so the next day Aunt Denise you know, visits like she promised. And you know, once again, she's criticizing Dana. She's saying it's a lot of house for one person. Now, what do you plan on doing with your money that was left over from the sale of the brownstone? And Dana's like, it's going to hold me over until I get hired. Um, and then she criticizes Dana for not giving her a heads up about moving, which I thought was weird. Um, and then Dana's like, what is your problem? Like, are you jealous that my grandmother left me the house and Denise is like, I was actually part of the decision to let you have the house. You know, your grandmother thought that having the house would be stability for you. And she mentions that like if her mother, Olivia had had some stability, then maybe she would still be alive. And she basically compares Dana to her mother saying that she's fragile and she's unstable. Um, and apparently her father is dead as well. So, you know, this is a lot for Dana. She's frustrated with her aunt. You know, she feels like you always said, you know, move out here. We'll be here. You're, we want to be close to you. And then when I do it, you kind of give me grief about it. And like, she's like, you know, you really don't care about me. And I honestly don't need you. So her aunt isn't having it. She calls her a princess. She storms out and she tells Dana she's not okay. And then she tells her to take a shower because apparently Dana was a little funky. Um, <laughs> so I'll stop there for that brief scene, uh, kind of giving a little bit more background about Dana and her family dynamic. Yeah, Denise is that person that's hurting and she's trying to be there for somebody else, but she has no idea what she's doing or no idea how to do it. So it, it was just kind of back and forth of, you know, her saying stuff that maybe she didn't really mean, but it's not really helping Dana out right now. Dana's going through her own issues. So it was just interesting seeing them go back and forth in that in that dynamic of, and then Denise still, Denise still just being like, okay, we just had this argument, but she need to take a shower. You know, so you still know that there's that, you know, there's that love there behind them. Cause you know, it's family, but you know, as Jamie mentioned earlier, there's something going on here, right? Something's happening where, you know, either it's just um, Denise, like her aunt has taken this to her, the grief that she's feeling. She doesn't know really how to express that. You know, the relationship with Dana maybe is kind of taking effect to that. So they don't really have good communication styles on, on either end, but they're kind of who they have each other. You know, they, they kind of lean on each other because she doesn't have her parents anymore. So that's kind of her support system. So it's going to be interesting to watch this continue to unfold between the both of them. Yeah, and I'll add real quick, I forgot to, to to touch on this point. She mentions the dream that she had and that the woman that was screaming at her reminded her of her mother. Like, she looks like my mom, but she's not my mom. So I'll, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, Jamie. Yeah, the mom is actually a very significant um, character in this story, which is interesting because the mom really has no presence. Her, Olivia's mother really has no presence or very little presence in the book. So Olivia's 
basically a brand new character for the show. So I am curious to know for book readers how they'll feel about this new character being introduced into Kindred. Um, and then like, and we'll talk about it more because Olivia does play a significant role. Dana being sort of a mess is sort of being, I guess, this characteristic that has been homegrown out of this show based off of the characteristics of her mother, Olivia. And and Denise talks about that in their conversation. So um, it's interesting because I, I do kind of like the more put together Dana in the book than the more messy, sort of flawed, kind of doesn't have herself together kind of Dana. But I'm, I'm willing to see how this plays out. Uh, by the way, this is what I had forgot to mention on our last uh, little recap. So the dynasty binging, I absolutely love that aspect of them showing that with Dana, because I know a lot of writers who love to look at soap operas as sort of their template or as a guide to helping them learn how to be better writers, because some of the best stories and storylines come out of soap opera writing. So anyway, I just thought that that was really cool. And also Dana, you know, mentions later on that, you know, she grew up on soap operas and stuff like that. But yeah, the fact that she's all about, you know, soap operas and that kind of helps craft her as a writer. That's that's very on point with real life writers. Yeah, agreed. Um, and to your point about Olivia, I feel like she replaces another character named Alice, if I remember correctly. Because I don't rec- I don't I don't know if we have an Alice on the show. Um, but I guess we'll we'll Alice Greenwood. Yeah, I said who's a uh, well, I don't want to give too much yeah. away until we get later on, but I feel like <laughs> Olivia replaces Alice. So I'll leave it at that. Book readers know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. um, Dana does end up taking Denise's advice and she does take a shower. Um, and because she doesn't have a car, she hits up Kevin. They make a trip to Target, um, which is my favorite place. And... <laughs> You know, she tells them she doesn't have a, a driver's license because she's from the city. Like people in New York don't have driver's licenses. And I can say that is don't have cars. Yeah. 100 percent true. <laughs> um, but L.A. is not a walking city. You have to drive around that. You need a car in L.A. Um, so, you know, they talk about Kevin's love of music and his band and, you know, they end up shopping for mattresses. And Kevin's impressed that she can afford this expensive mattress. And then they end up having lunch overlooking the city. And he asks about her writing for television. And Dana tells him she's trying to break into soap operas, um, which was her grandmother's favorite genre. And I think any black kid growing up was forced to watch stories, you know, their stories (laughs) with their grandma. Um, So I'm not really a fan of soap operas because I was just bored to death by them when I was little. Um, (laughs) What I love, I love shout so. out to General Hospital. Come on now. No, All my I children like... was my jam. Erica Kane. Woo. <laughs> no, not my thing. They were boring to me. I actually really prefer telenovelas. I know it's like the same thing, but for whatever reason, Spanish makes it spicier. So I could watch it <laughs> at telenovela. And it's like telenovelas are like one or two seasons, and then they do something fresh with like Days of Our Lives and General Hospital. It's just like 1500 seasons and people come back to like it's just too much for me so unfortunately i'm not a fan um (laughs) so uh you know uh they end up talking about um you know the albums that he got from her and he asks like did they belong to her father and dana tells him that you know both her parents are dead and it turns out kevin has 
um, a same experience. His both his parents are gone as well, and he says they're orphans. They should make a club, um, and he offers to help her out with her new place. So he ends up like helping her with her new bed, and you know, apparently she's very appreciative of his kindness. She kisses him, and they they christen her bed, um, and then. <laughs> No, post coitus, coitus. Kevin finds Dana's notebook where she kind of diagrams episodes of Dynasty, and he's like, "I've never seen Dynasty," and she's like, "Oh no, <laughs> that is not good. Let's get you caught up." So they end up binge watching the show together until he falls asleep. Um, so you know, once he's asleep, she kind of puts her computer down. She goes into the kitchen to get a glass of water, and she finds a cat outside. And she starts to hear the voice of a child crying. Um, and then before you know it, she finds herself on the bank of a river still holding the cat. So apparently Dana can bring things with her when she travels through time. Um, a woman named Margaret, who's played by Gail Rankin, calls out for someone named Rufus. And Dana finds a redheaded child face down in the river. Looks like it's the same child, you know, the same infant that she saved I guess years ago in this timeline. Um, so she picks him up. She brings him back to shore. The woman's super frantic about the child as Dana starts to administer CPR. And then the boy wakes up a man named Thomas, who's played by Ryan Quentin. Sorry, Ryan, if I said your name wrong, um, arrives and aims a gun at Dana's face and she begins to scream. And that screen triggers her to go right back to the present day. But her screams end up waking Kevin, who rushes to her side and asks if she's okay. And she ends up recounting her experience to him and tells him like she wasn't there, like she somehow left. Um, but then there's a knock on the door from concerned neighbors and Kevin tells them that Dana was just having a nightmare and they're really convinced, but they do leave. Dana apologizes for what's happened for all the commotion and Kevin ends up staying the night and orders them takeout, which I'm like, Oh, he's so sweet. I need a Kevin. Um, and he tells, <laughs> he tells Dana that according to the internet, Dana was most likely sleepwalking. Um, but then they end up getting into an argument because he kind of calls her a princess and Jess. And obviously that is a sore point for her because that's what Denise called her. And she ends up telling him to go and as he begins to apologize, Dana starts to hear the crackling of a fire and she and she ends up disappearing right before his eyes. And so she finds herself named next to this little boy who ends up being Rufus, who's played by David Alexander Kaplan, and she rushes him out of the burning house. So I will stop there for that, you know, that whole Kevin section. Yeah, I love uh, Kevin and Dana. Like they are, like you said, they're so cute. And I love how she made them sit down and binge watch Dynasty. And they just have this real cute understanding. It's very light for somebody like, um, for somebody like Dana, I think that's a perfect kind of fit for her. Somebody like Kevin that can kind of go with the flow a little bit. He's very laid back. They have the same kind of sense of humor. So I, I like the beginning stages of this relationship here. And yeah, we're we're still on this on this crazy train of just seeing her kind of hop in and out, and, and you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on and slowly kind of piecing together. And I love how Dana, I guess anybody would, but Dana always hops right into action in these time jumps. And mm -hmm. I could never figure out, I feel like I would kind of be frozen. And she just writes to, okay, there's a little boy, let me go save him. Good thing she does, because Margaret, like we'll see more for her. This lady, speaking of hot mess, that's another hot mess right there. So she's just right. So she's just screaming on a bank, her son laying there. So good thing Dana did step in action when she did. 
but yeah, I just I'm just amazed at how calm, cool, collected she is. She just hops into whatever scenario she's in at that moment, especially given the time period. I think we're around like 1815 or something when it first starts happening or whatever. So mm -hmm. just knowing her, knowing like the context of where she is and jumping right into there without being because I would have been terrified. I don't know how she's just so calm and and, you know, she looks around herself a little bit and she's like, OK, let me go and do this. And, then you know, before she gets pulled back. So it's interesting where we kind of put the, the pieces of where she ends up, what she adds in, what characters um, comes in. And the fact that she just took this cat to like 1815, like what? <laughs> what is happening poor so, cat. yeah poor yeah. cat yeah it seems like every single time she's pulled back in time is because something is happening to Rufus uh, <laughs> yep. so I wonder so why there's, yeah there's a reason for it but <laughs> she's kind of like Rufus's uh, little guardian angel mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so Jamie any thoughts on her and Kevin's romance <sighs> developing and yeah her? okay I, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be like the negative Nancy of the group here because I love that <laughs> you guys have a very positive um, perspective. And by the way, you know, full transparency, we plan on talking to some folks that are behind the Kindred series. So, um, but I, I want to be honest with my opinions. I, I'm not a fan of this change. Uh, and I, the reason is, is because uh, Kevin and... Um, Dana's relationship, their marriage in the book plays a really significant role because they, you know, they're a couple, they, you know, obviously back in the seventies, interracial marriage was very controversial, but there's a reason why Kevin goes through these, you know, adventures or misadventures with Dana throughout the, the story, uh, which we'll find out later on as you're, you're watching the show. And um, for Kevin to just sort of be this guy that she just happened to meet, you know, at a restaurant, he was her waiter, and then they hooked up via Tinder, and, you know, they're just sort of casually in the fact, you know, the infatuation phase of this relationship, and then, like, he sort of pulled into her drama. I just don't know how, um, oh, gosh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um how plausible it is that he sticks around. Um, and I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'm just not a fan of them being casual in a casual relationship. I'd rather it had been them being married. That being said, I totally love the, um, the, the chemistry, the on-screen chemistry between the two actors. Uh, Mallory Johnson and Micah Stock. I think they're great performers. I, I think the way they designed their their relationship, how they met at the restaurant and how he offered her a ride and how she met him through Tinder. I think that's all kind of a cute setup. I just kind of wish they decided to keep the way it was where they were a married couple. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe it'll make sense later on and um, I'll eat my words. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll see if that maybe maybe some of the drama strengthens their relationship or maybe Kevin just likes adventure. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Lord. But we'll see. Um, so, you know, she um, so like, you know, I said earlier, she rescues Rufus again. Um, she wakes him up and she asks, like, are we in a dream? And Rufus is like, 
you're the nigger who haunts our land. <laughs> so obviously they're in a different time um, yeah. with that hard ER. Um, and, you know, he realizes who she is. He's like, you saved me when I was a baby. And when I nearly drowned, you know, my mother and my father saw you. Um, and she ends up running away as the plantation owner, Thomas, begins to call for Rufus, threatening to beat him. And Rufus asks Dana not to leave him because he feels like Thomas is going to end up killing him. It's very clear Thomas is not a good guy. Um, so as she's running away, she's stopped by a slave named Luke, who's played by Austin Smith. Um, and he also knows who she is. You know, he calls her by name, Dana. And he tells her that he knows Olivia. Um, and Olivia is staying with a woman named Hagar. And Luke asks her, you know, are you an angel or something else? And Dana doesn't really know. Um, but he gives her directions to Hagar's house. And then he wishes her luck. Um, in route, she's stopped by a man on horseback. Um, he mistakes her for Hagar and offers her a ride home. He says he really likes her dress, which is a robe, um, which <laughs> Dana declines. She can clearly see he's a creep. And so she ends up at Hagar's on her own. Um, and inside is Olivia, who is played by Sharia Irving. And she recognizes Dana. Um, she asks Dana, like, is your last name James? And Dana nods. And she, Olivia tells Dana that they are in the year 1815. And Dana tells her that, well, she's from 2016. Um, and Olivia apparently has been stuck in the past for 11 years. When she left, Dana was only two years old. So we can kind of see that time doesn't really work the same way. Um, it's not parallel. Um, and so, you know, Dana wants to know, is Olivia a slave? And she says, no, she's a free woman. And then she asks Dana how she gets home. Like, how are you able to go back and forth? Because obviously word is spread about Dana and who she is. And Dana doesn't really know. Um, Olivia asks how many times she has come back and forth through time. And she said three. Um, and then she mentions that she's 26 years old, which is the same age when, uh, that, that Olivia was when things started happening to her. So Olivia asks, like, what has her father told her about her disappearance? And Dana says, well, my dad died in the same car crash that you died in. And this really shocks Olivia. And she asks who's been raising Dana. Uh, and then Dana's, like, Dana's confused. You know, for all, all her life, she's thought her mother was dead in a car accident. And here she is sitting before her in the 1800s. And so she's wondering, are you really alive? Um, but they end up hearing cries from outside. The patrolman from earlier, whose name is Daniel, um, he's played by Adam Bartley, is aggressively questioning Hagar. Hagar and um, Dana actually have a striking resemblance to each other. Um, and Olivia tells Dana to run. Dana catches, or Daniel catches Dana, um, and he thinks she's a runaway, but Dana scratches them and she escapes. But then he ends up running after her, tackling her. He starts to beat up on her. He starts choking her out. And Olivia knocks him off. And Dana ends up awakening in the present with Kevin bending over him. So she's still probably still muddled with confusion on where she is. So she ends up scratching Kevin's neck. And Kevin calms her down and tells her she's not crazy. He saw her disappear and then he saw her reappear. So everything that's happening is real. Dana realizes her mother is stuck back in time. And then she ends up showing Kevin a picture of Olivia, the same woman that from the 1800s. And that's how the episode ends. Um, so I guess I'll give you guys your final thoughts. And I guess we can also get into some of the more of the differences in the book than the series. 
Um, so Dana and Rufus, this was the first time for me where Rufus, his language, whenever he's talking to her, starts to really aggravate me as it continues to go on. This is your first little glimpse of it. Because as she's saving him and you start to get the relationship out, you're still like, mm. so we still got this little white boy and we're in 1815. And that's just that mentality that you have to reset yourself for every time they have this conversation. And she does, you know, not to give too much away, she does end up having some moments. She's like, mm, that's not going to fly. That's not going to work for me. But it's just that first little interaction of having to see them in that time period and her having to, you know, adjust to that sort of speak. And then your name being Rufus is kind of, you know, that's a little <laughs> red flag, too. So, so, you know, you get that you get a little bit of, you know, so that one, that one for me, I was like, OK, all right. They're trying to set us up for something here. Well, Rufus here. means red hair. So that, that that's there all you that go. is. There you go. I didn't even know but, that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that either, but yeah, I just I just heard the name and just something was something was just mm-hmm. giving me like mischievous or something when you hear where Rufus. I don't know what it is uh, for me when I heard that name. But and then <laughs> shout out to uh, Luke by the way because I feel like Luke always comes through as somebody that can kind of guide her. I feel like he's there at a right moment all the time. So I like to see where that's gonna go and and um, you know him him appearing there. And then I'm just gonna go down to um, Olivia. And Dana here. So I'm trying to think how I think I think this is the moment for me where it became I wasn't so nervous to continue watching the series because I was really worried about just being stuck in that. You know, we know anytime a anytime a character is going to jump, a black character is going to jump back, time jump, they're going to usually take us to some kind of, you know, slavery, civil rights, because that's just the answer. It's just the history. So you get a little worried that that's something you're going to continue to be pulled into in a way. And I feel like this to me added in that other layer that made me curious, that sci-fi layer that I needed that kind of helped me to hold on to this journey where I was. I didn't feel like it was going to be that dread, so to speak, like it was a different kind of twist on it that I wanted to hear something different, like a different narrative that this hit for me, that hit home for me once they introduced Olivia. So I was excited at this point to see, okay, so why does her mom know this and how does she know this happened? And, you know, why is she still there? You know, and she, oh, and she didn't really die. So I loved how they kind of brought all that back, you know, after you're watching her kind of jump a lot. And there's nothing really kind of making sense at this point if you haven't read anything. And so this one little clue right here kind of gives you this little inkling to keep pushing for me, where it didn't seem like I was going to be stuck in this, like, oh, they're going to be dropping the N-word every five minutes. You know, (laughs) the guy slammed her down on the ground. I don't have time for this for every single episode. So this to me gave it something different that I was needing at this moment. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think for uh, people that haven't read the book, it I think the first episode may come off as a little jarring and maybe even some a little bit confusing. But then towards the end, that mother, uh, the Olivia character, sort of kind of helps put the little pieces of the puzzle together. And who knows? Maybe that's why she was created for the show. I mean, Angelica, you mentioned that you think she kind of places or replaces the Alice Greenwood character. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. But um, but yeah, I, I think that once we learn more about Olivia, then we kind of understand why these time jumps are happening. Uh, but for, yeah, if, if you haven't read the book, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> why is this happening to her? You know, why is she um, uh, all of a sudden reappearing and disappearing and, um, and then able to take people with her and, and all of that? Um, but yeah, I, 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 so far I'm really enjoying again, the pacing of the show. I love the way, 
Um, each of these characters are being introduced. I love the performances. I do take issue with the <laughs> the Dana and Kevin relationship, uh, but it's not a deal breaker for me. I, I think it's a good um, it's good on FX to modernize this. I, I don't think it would make I don't know. It just to me, if it would feel super dated having it take place in the 70s and then we're going back in time again. Mm -hmm. So to modernize it and make it a little bit more empathetic for the viewer. Um, and I think they're, they are framing this as more of like a horror kind of thriller, uh, which I think is, is cool. I think that that um, is great, but yeah, so far I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, the run of, of this episode and, and how the pieces are coming together. Yeah. I, I like the Olivia edition for sure. I like how it's kind of seems like it's a genetic disposition that runs in the family, you know, that they're mm -hmm. time travelers. I like that. Um, interesting that they can't control it. Interesting that Olivia has been stuck there for 11 years in her time. Um, and yeah, it's just, let's see how it ends up. You know, is Olivia ever going to go back to the future? Is she just always bound to the past? Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, any other differences that you noticed from the book to the series, Jamie? Jog my memory. Um, <laughs> very minor difference. Um, in the on the TV show, she lives in Silver Lake. In the book, she lived in Altadena. I don't know the Los Angeles area very much. So anybody that is listening or watching this, feel free to leave a comment and let us know how far those two communities are. Uh, but that was that was one little difference. Um, but yeah, aside from the dif differences that I mentioned earlier, Kevin is already married to Dana. Uh, it takes place in the seventies in the book. Uh, the Olivia character is non-existent in the book. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and I think, and, and I think the whole, the whole conversation, which obviously it ties into the Olivia character between um, Alan and Denise you know, that doesn't really happen in the book. Um, but it, you know, I, I actually kind of think it's it's an interesting and compelling reason for her want wanting to move to Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, cool. So we're now going to do episode two, which is called Sabina. And uh, we'll break that down for you. And then we will wrap up this entire episode with the breakdowns of episode one and two and take it away Angelica. all right so we open um not where we left off but from a scene from the previous episode it's from kevin's point of view after dana disappears he's pretty shocked i would be too if someone just vanished right in front of me so he kind of like grabs his things and he's just like what the fuck what the fuck like he's just like what is happening <laughs> um, <laughs> That I just see, and he like runs into the living room to leave, and Dana's there. Um, just like we saw her in a previous episode, um, we learned that time passes differently. So she was gone for hours when she left, um, but that translated to only a few seconds to Kevin in the present. And she thinks it's getting worse. You know, she seems to stay a little bit longer every time she goes back. Um, so she thinks it's best for her to get new clothes because she doesn't want to be caught in a robe the next time she time travels. Um, but there's a knock at the door. The neighbor, Hermione, who's played by Brooke Bloom, who's obviously a Karen, is looking for her cat, uh, Princess Why Guy. she got to be named Hermione? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> 
disrespect. Yeah, the disrespect. That's definitely disrespectful. I love, yeah, we love Hermione over here. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> she's she's looking for her cat, Princess Di. And if we remember, that's probably the same cat that Dana was holding when she traveled back oh, in time. So poor yeah. Princess Di is stuck in the past. <laughs> so I'm sure she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Um, and she noticed, so Hermione notices the marks on Kevin's neck from when Dana scratched him. She obviously heard screams. She demands to see Dana and Kevin's like, she's asleep. And then she starts to question, like, how do you even know her? And, you know, where do you live? Like, a bunch of Karen stuff. And, you know, he just tells her, you know, he lives down the street. And, you know, he's he's Dana's friend. Um, you know, not much more outside of that. So then she asks, like, oh, can I at least look for my cat out back? And Kevin agrees. Um, so she returns back home to her partner, Carlo, who's played by Louis Conchelmi. And she's deeply suspicious of the couple. Obviously, she thinks that, like, they're beating up on each other. <laughs> um, and she posts on the neighborhood message board asking for intel on Dana and Kevin. Um, meanwhile, Dana calls Denise um, and asks about her mother's condition. Um, Denise confirmed Olivia was often depressed and she had fits of mania. And then she also was delusional. You know, she would see things that weren't there. Um, and then Dana ends up seeking clarification for how her mother died. Like, you know, was her body ever recovered, um, after the accident? And, you know, Olivia says her body wasn't recovered. They think maybe she decided to, I guess, drown. I don't know. The, the, the explanation for why they couldn't find Olivia doesn't make sense. Um, but Dana realizes that her mother must have been driving when the accident happened and she must have time traveled. And so her mother is alive in the past. Um, and then she also comes to the realization that the cat is stuck in the past, too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just not a, not a good time. Um, so Kevin tells Dana they can't stay in the house. You know, the neighbors are suspicious. They know where he lives. They obviously think something is up. If something happens to Dana, he's going to get nailed for it. So he tells her that they have to go. He starts grabbing her arm. And it seems like whenever, and you mentioned this before, Jamie, whenever there's something like really emotional or traumatizing or just a, just anything can trigger Dana to start going back in time. And so she begins to hear Rufus calling for her or Rufus screaming, excuse me, but Kevin's still holding on to her. So she begins to time travel and she brought Kevin along for the ride. So he's only been out with this girl maybe twice <laughs> and he's traveling back in time with her. Um, so That's I'm why it doesn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there. Go ahead, Jamie. I'll, I'll give you the floor. <laughs> I, that, that's why it doesn't make sense. Um, because it's like, if I just met you, I'm leaving. Like, why, <laughs> why am I sticking around? I don't know what's going on with you. You got this whole time traveling thing going on. It's freaking me out. I just met you on Tinder. Um, I'm out of here. So it it's more plausible and logical that it would be a husband that would be going through these shenanigans than just some guy she met off the internet. Anyway, um, well, he can't or, go anywhere now. He's stuck in the 1800s with her. But <laughs> yeah, but then he travels back into the present, and then he goes back into the past with her. Anyway, um, this this, <laughs> you know, uh, so I I absolutely thought the whole Hermione character. She reminded me so much of the character. In the movie Karen. 
So it's funny that you mentioned that she's a Karen, mm -hmm. because if you saw the movie Karen, the actress, gosh, what is her name? Oh, God. Taryn Manning. Taryn Manning. Thank yeah. you. Taryn Manning was like this obnoxious neighbor. And that's exactly who Hermione is in this in this role. So I wonder if she was somehow, I don't know, inspired <laughs> by by that character. But uh, but yeah, it, very, very real moment uh, with that. And this 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 was a great uh, little setup to just, again, see how Dana travels back in time and what causes what triggers these flashbacks these time jumps back into the past and um that it is triggered by some sort of high impact high energy uh emotional triggers um and then you know people are involved as well olivia being one of them and i think that there's probably other people involved that we'll talk about later <laughs> all right ryan yeah, you got to watch out for them Tinder dates. Yeah, this is this is uh, <laughs> this is pretty intense for uh, for Kevin here. But I guess that says something about his character that he hasn't. I, I would have probably been out, especially when the neighbors showed up and asked me all these questions. I mean, I got this big scratch on my neck. So, um, but yeah, I guess that says something about whatever's drawn him to Dana. And I guess Dana's lucky because she's spiraling out of control, and this guy's still there standing, answering doors and stuff for her. So um, I guess I just said something about what he, you know, I guess what he uh, represents or what could what he could represent and just how he's willing to hang it out. Because, yeah, I would have been like, yeah, deuces. Yeah, that's not what I just what I not what I swipe for Tinder on. So um, <laughs> that that's insane. But um, but yeah. And then the the Olivia, like her calling her aunt and figuring out that Olivia was might have been like, you know, in the car. And it, it's crazy the way this time, the way they can time jump and they don't really know like how many seconds, what it does to them. I think when you see um, Dana come back, she has like a I think her eye, she has like a bruise in her eye. Just the physical toll is starting to take. And you're like, OK, wait a minute here. So they go away for a couple seconds. It's no telling what can happen to them physically. And then they just pop back. So that that part to me that I thought was was so um, in, in, insane and crazy. But yeah, just the, the way this continues to unfold. And and when Kevin like grabbed onto her, I said, they're not getting ready to do this. I clearly thought he let go when she time jumped or whatever was about to happen. And he was just going to be sitting there looking like, you know, a deer in the headlights. But when he went back, I said, oh, oh, no, oh, no. This is turned into a whole different other thing. But I was hooked because I was like, let's go. We've taken the white guy back with her in 1815. We're going to see how this turns out. <laughs> He's insurance. Yes. Exactly. There you go. Yep. She needs that. But yeah, it was interesting. So once again, we, we obviously can figure out that anytime Rufus is in danger, Dana shows up. Um, and so she ends up calling for Kevin because she actually left him behind <laughs> to go help out Rufus. She's like, Rufus, I'm coming. And Kevin's kind of in the middle of the woods in the middle of the winter throwing up because time travel doesn't do well for his body. Um, so Kevin, you know, walks up and finds Dana leaning over an injured Rufus who apparently has fallen from a tree. And she tells a slave boy named Nigel, who's played by Christopher Farrar, to go get help. And she sends Kevin with him to ensure that Nigel isn't blamed for what happened to Rufus. Um, Kevin and Nigel are confronted by Luke, who sends Nigel to fetch a doctor. And Luke asks, like, who are you? Luke, I mean, excuse me. Kevin says that they're travelers who happened upon Rufus. And he's, like, reciting. He's a bad liar. He's reciting what 
Dana told him to tell anyone to ask. And he's like, we're travelers who happened upon, you know, he's just not, <laughs> not the best at deceiving people. Um, so they end up getting Rufus. Luke brings him back to the plantation and Dana just continues to reassure Kevin to stay calm. Oh my God. Sorry. Um, can you guys hear my cat going crazy? Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. <laughs> she was scratching up a storm and it was distracting me. Okay. Um, so yeah, she reassures Kevin to stay calm. When they arrive at the big house, Margaret is in hysterics, which apparently is her nature, over Rufus's injuries. Thomas seems annoyed rather than concerned for his son, and he demands they take the demon back upstairs to his room. He questions Kevin and Dana, who reiterate that they are travelers, and he's just like, why are you guys dressed so weird? Well, strangely. And uh, Dana's like, oh, we've been robbed. (laughs) So she's good on her toes. I I can't say the same for Kevin. Um, They're interrupted by Charles, played by Drew Matthews, who's a fellow plantation owner. Um, He advises Thomas, you know, he'll speak to him later. He needs to attend to his son. And Thomas is like, no, no, stay for supper. And he's just like, no, go take care of yourself. It seems like Charles is more compassionate than Thomas. Um, so then Thomas is like, can you at least come tomorrow, you know, for our party? And Charles is like, we'll see. And he leaves. So Thomas invites Kevin inside and orders Sabina, who's played by Cherry McRide, to get Kevin some decent clothes and boots. And Kevin is like freaking out. Like he's not handling this well. And Dana just keeps telling him to remain calm. They'll figure out when she finds her mother. Um, so Dana is taken to the kitchen by a mute girl and speaks to the cook. You know, she's asking for Olivia, but the, that cook is busy. She don't got time for this. <laughs> she's like, I got a job to do. She's making supper for the master. She tells Dana to have a seat. She ends up being found by Luke. And he he has an interesting question because he he the previous episode he asked if uh, if Dana was an angel and then this time he was like have you arrived with the devil he thinks Kevin is the devil <laughs> uh, and she's like no he's just a friend and she asked him to take him to, take her to Olivia and he says it's too cold to travel so you know she's just gonna have to wait and she learns that it's been a few months since they last saw Dana at the plantation so I'll stop there for your thoughts on all this, all the things that have happened since they got back in time. Yeah. Watching Kevin and Dana, like navigate this world. And Kevin is just so like, just out of it. He's just stumbling around. The words are not coming out and Dana's just ready to go. And it's like, sir, your life is not as at risk as hers is It's like, get it together, get it together. But he just, you know, barely hanging on as she, as she um, goes along. Cause we know now that she has this mission of trying to find Olivia so now that kind of gives us that little inkling to hold on to as she time jumps, like what she's kind of looking for and that and that drive that she has now. And we like, Lord, I hope Kevin don't mess it up for her. Cause he yeah. he was he was struggling as he's as he's going through this. But um, but yeah, and just um just meeting Thomas, he's boy, him and Margaret are a I don't know where they get this relationship from. They are characters like both of them, like one is on the opposite ends when it comes to Rufus, like Thomas, he could care less. He like, I'm tired of this boy. He just be existing. Like, why is he always getting into something? And Margaret is like, her whole world is just like, you know, true. Like, you know, she's that mama bear, but she's like way too over the top sometimes. It seems like when it comes to like, she's like, he's dying and she's just sitting there. Like, she's just laying over him, like screaming, not really being helpful. And you just always see Dana come in, like kind of swooping and is trying to like fix the situation. So good thing for the guardian Asian, a uh, guardian Guardian angel of Dana because ooh, Margaret is a hot mess, boy. As your, as your mama, like that girl's a trip. 
<laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just interesting to see them and then like being on the plantation and you got the um Sabina coming out and, and something's not quite right with her and she's trying to get Kevin dressed and I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is just creepy and weird and you're just trying to figure out the different players and, and how they're going to interact and, and what's going to go left. Are they going to believe the story? Because you got these two people showing up there together. You got a you got a white man, a black woman together. They're wearing different clothing. They're talking different. So what is getting ready to happen? So it's like a lot of just like tension and 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 suspicion like that's building in the, in these moments. Jamie? Yeah, I mean, I, I forgot to mention when we were recapping episode one, uh, Ryan Quanton, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, I had the biggest crush on him when he played Jason Stackhouse on True Blood. I just want to get that out. <laughs> um, so seeing him in this role, I'm like, oh. Uh, but yeah, Thomas, he he is not, he's not a good dude. He is obviously not at all empathetic or even sympathetic towards his own son. And it makes me wonder why he's so disconnected, but yet, um, and I don't know, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but he's connected towards other family members or people in his life um, that we find out. So uh, there, there's some complexities with his character that is um, an interesting dynamic that we, we come to figure out about Thomas in this show. Margaret, on the other hand, I really don't like her. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like her at all. She is the epitome of like, um, just, you know, this, the white woman that just, you know, cries wolf at everything and blames black people for everything and lies about black people doing this, that, and the third. Um, she's that type of white woman. Uh, but yeah, she's, she's doing the most and just how standoffish she is towards Dana is so repulsive to me. Um, but you know, we, I, I don't think I had expanded on how she immediately is dismissive towards Dana in episode one, when <laughs> Dana is literally yeah. saving her son's life, you know, she's like, get off of them. Uh but, you know, for her to be so protective over her son, she doesn't recognize when another human being is trying to save her own son's life. So, yeah, the hypocrisy is at, like, ridiculous levels with that woman. Um, but, yeah, this the, this was a very interesting um, sequence of events that we, we come to see in uh, episode two. And then we get introduced to the namesake of this episode, which is Sabina, mm -hmm. which I... Uh, uh, my heart hurts for her. My heart hurts for her. I know yeah. we're going to talk about her more, but um, yeah. Yes. So um, back in the house, Sabina, who seems to be suffering from some type of disease that affects her feet. She has a lot of, like, she can't wear shoes. Her feet are wrapped and she just kind of shuffles around. She brings uh, clothes to Kevin. She tries to dress him. And Kevin, being a modern day man, is like, I got it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you don't need to help me. I got this. And you can see he's trying to make a phone call. And like, Kevin's not very bright. I don't know why he thought making a phone call from the 1800s would somehow get <laughs> to help in the present. <laughs> but that's an amazing service right there. I'm with right. You. Right. Yeah. He he tried. Um, Thomas enters <laughs> and is displeased that Sabina is not dressing Kevin. And Kevin insists he can dress himself and ends up. Um, Thomas ends up dismissing Sabina. Um, so then, obviously, Thomas is curious about this this new guest of his. He, you know, he asks about the robbery, and Kevin, being a terrible liar, just tells him about the encounter. 
and it's just not a convincing story, but Thomas seems to buy it. Um, but I don't think Thomas is very bright either. Um, he asks where they're headed, and Kevin states that he and Dana are headed south. And he's like, Dana, that's the name of your slave? Um, and Kevin's like, yeah, she's my slave. And he's like, oh, she talks really strange. Where did you, what do you say? Where did you procure her from? And he says he, he, <laughs> he got her from New York. And he's like, is that how all, you know, Negroes speak? And he's like, well, that's how Dana talks. Um, and so he's just like, you should trade her in for a more docile slave. Like she's going to be problems. She's probably the reason why you got robbed. Uh, and I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> And then Kevin, of course, being Kevin, asked to go to the bathroom. And Thomas is like, you want to take a bath? And he's like, no, no. I <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I want to relieve myself. He's like, oh, the privy's out back. <laughs> so the privy. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, they're like, that what's the bathroom? <laughs> um, so Kevin finds Dana and, you know, he says, like, Thomas thinks that you're my slave. He's very uncomfortable and kind of shocked by that. And Dana's like, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, she tells Kevin, like, they have to play along. You know, she can't control her abilities and they'll figure it out. Um, she just says, like, just tell them that we can't be separated. And at some point, you know, we'll return back to the present. And um, so she's just she's just winging it. Um, so I'll stop there for your thoughts. Yeah, I just I just like how Tom or how Kevin is really horrible at this, and Thomas just like, oh yeah, that adds up. Yeah, so you had this on, and you just got robbed, and like you see anybody else wearing that T-shirt, <laughs> but it was just like you know him being a white guy, he's in that time period. It's like, oh yes, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh, we good, we good. Yeah, you know, as opposed to like everybody just straight up just wanting to take Dana out like at any moment, like looking at her like, right. what is happening right now? So I, I thought that was interesting, but yeah, he's just, I'm just like, Kevin, did you read any kind of history? But I don't know, maybe he did. Maybe he just kind of been oblivious to the whole thing, but he was just coming up like he never heard anything like this in his life, you know? And I guess as audience members, I guess we want to see him uncomfortable because, you know, this could potentially be, you know, some relationship she's in in the future because we know from the book. So I guess we do want to see him not be, you know, like not just slide right into it like a Thomas or something like, oh yeah, this is my slave I got right over here. <laughs> You know, when they're supposed to be dating, you know what I mean? Like, so I guess you want to see him be a little uncomfortable. But at the same time, I was like, sir, you had to look at some history books or something. Like, you got to know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was too caught up in his music career, though. You know, he was just, oh, there you go. He's yeah. just the music geek. Yeah, he, he's too ca- caught up in that to really focus on history like that. So I'll give Kevin a pass. Uh, <laughs> but Thomas is really dumb. I just yeah. think like yeah, for, for you to for you to buy that is just crazy to me. But you know what? It speaks to white privilege that yeah. you know you can be white and just get away with anything. Because obviously, if this was a black man that was traveling with Dana instead, oh man, it'd be completely you know obviously it's in slavery time. So he would not be seen as a free man and, and there would be a lot of scrutiny there, but you know, Kevin doesn't really have to even say much or do much. And he's believed he's welcomed. He's embraced with open arms. Um, And uh, I think that's interesting that, I mean, it's something that we're observing Uh, hopefully more people that are watching it observes, but it's an, it's an interesting perspective on white privilege and what it affords white people in the most 
riskiest and dangerous of situations. I mean, you know, white people won't have this situation happen to them, but, <laughs> but, right. you know, in a situation where um, you're being questioned um, compared to a person of color, your whiteness buys you trust um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that a black person can't, you know, afford, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, this was, I, I, the sequence of events is great. Kevin is trying to get out of there. There is the most logical point, and I, I talk about logic and plausibility because it's very important. That's why they should be married. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin does consistently want to get out of this yeah. timeline, out of this, you know, whatever that they're in. So that felt very real. He's like, okay, well, when do we get out of here? When do we get out of here? Dane is all like, all right, just chill. You know, I got to talk to my mom first. You know, I got to figure out what's going on with our family history. We're, we're doing, she's doing her like ancestry.com, you know, <laughs> style, you know. So while she's trying to figure out her whole lineage and heritage, Kevin's trying to get the hell out of Dodge. So that felt like a real moment to me. And, and I, I appreciated that aspect of the storytelling. Yeah. I don't know. Dana seems very comfortable in the past. <laughs> like, yes. She's like, yeah. she's like a. We didn't want to get out. Yeah. She's like a survivalist. She's like, we're just going to do what we have to do. We're going to figure it out. And I'll be freaking and, out. But, like, although same. I feel like it would be the opposite. I feel like Kevin's like, I'm a white guy. I'm comfortable. I'm living the life right. over here. And <laughs> I would think, I don't want to be a slave. Like, get me out of here. But Dana's like, oh, drop me at any other time period but 1815. Yeah. Yes. Drop, drop me somewhere mm. else. Shoot, I don't even want to be in the 50s. There you go. There you go. I need to be in, like, you know, maybe at least after the civil rights movement. (laughs) At least after that. Yeah, at least after that. Yeah. Please. Just just send me to the land of Kush, you know? (laughs) I'll I'll be happy. I'll be a queen. Um, Anyways, so um, Kevin is called back into the big house and they end up meeting Dr. West, who's played by David DeVries. He's thankful Kevin is there. They, they need all the help they can get to kind of hold Margaret back and hold down Rufus while they bleed him and reset his broken leg. And, you know, the doctor's saying they need to bleed out Rufus because he's been outside in the cold. And if they bleed him, they'll take out the bad blood, which will cause a fever. And Dana's like, you know, Dana's of the modern day. She's like, hold on. That's not a good idea. That's not going to be necessary to bleed him. And this greatly offends a doctor. He demands that Kevin keep basically his slave in check. And he's like, the audacity of this wench to even look me in the eye. <laughs> like, they are just not happy with Dana. Um, so, you know, that, that takes care of that. Uh, they go upstairs. Thomas holds back Margaret while Luke and Dana restrain Rufus. And then Thomas is hand, you know, manhandling her because she's crazy and he slaps her. And Kevin just looking on like what am I supposed to do they eventually restrain Margaret and they kind of give her something that sedates her and then Kevin attends to her as the rest of the group resets Rufus's leg um Kevin and Margaret they kind of have a talk amidst uh, Rufus's screams Margaret is disappointed they're not gonna be able to have their Christmas party she was trying to inject some joy into their home and Kevin you know unsure what to do what to say he sees the piano nearby he begins to play which seems to soothe Margaret. And then she realizes that Rufus must have passed out because he's not screaming anymore. 
Um, and then Thomas ends up being very impressed with Kevin's musical talent and thanks him for his help. And he asks Kevin to join them for supper. Um, so I can stop there for that, that brief scene. It's, it's a lot. Um, I don't want my leg reset in the 1800s. That's for sure. Yeah, their medicine in that time period, who hard pass. When and Dr. West, he come up in there coughing and and I don't know what he's drinking, then wash his hands. I was like, just fix it. It was just the whole scene was just it was just horrible. And he and that you know when you hear about the the past too about slaves, about some of those doctors that were experimenting on slaves because they were trying to figure out different, you know, medicines or whatever, different surgeries or whatever like that. I just, he just was so creepy to me. I could not wait for him to be done. I was like, this guy needs to go. Like, he just 100% creepy vibes. Um, you know, I obviously hated the way he was talking to Dana, was scared for Dana. I was like, girl, don't do it because you could tell she's scared to say something. Um, just that, but just that boldness that she has and, you know, like not afraid and, and she's going to go after. And, you know, she's still in that time period of, you know, when she jumps in the past a little bit, she's not worried about you know, the consequences, which, you know, I guess is a double-edged sword for her as she, as she continues to navigate this world. But, and then, yeah. So the resetting of the leg, the only thing I could hear was the screaming. I tried to focus on, you know, Kevin coming down, playing the piano, their conversation, but it's just like, all you can hear is just that piercing screaming in the background. And just the whole scene is just uncomfortable in so many ways. You know, going back to like Margaret and Tom, like that little thing they were having scuffle because she's losing her complete mind and having to be drugs and everything. The whole thing was just so awkward when it when it turned up. But yeah, it's just more of that piercing screaming that all that's all I could hear until like um you said Angelica, he must have passed out because it stopped at some moment. But you're just trying to focus on, you know, Kevin trying to do something like anything he could do, like music to kind of cope. He starts playing the piano, but that's all I could hear in the background. It just was staying with me like that piercing scream and like how I really, like you said, I really wouldn't want any kind of surgery back in this day, you know, to have to get anything done. And just by Dr. West himself, I was like, yeah, hard pass. <laughs> Jamie? Hard pass. Yeah. I mean, I, you bring up a good point, Ryan, that uh, Kevin uses playing the piano as like a coping mechanism. I mean, he's he's probably dealing with some some stress and just undue pressure of going through all of this stuff that he's dealing with being dealing with all this time travel and that he's playing the piano as a way to just kind of relieve the stress him as a musician this is something that he's familiar with um so uh, that's just a great point that you brought up that it's a, a coping mechanism and dr west is trash i mean <laughs> Yep. <laughs> he's trash but that is the way these doctors operated back then i mean they would do bleed outs they would amputate people unnecessarily and do all of these weird kind of methods i mean i, I don't know we, we we've covered game of thrones and talked about how <laughs> how they would um uh deal with different kinds of remedies and medicines uh for healing and stuff but uh Poor Rufus, just to to have to deal with that type of uh, medical attention is just unfortunate. So, so yeah, yeah. And having Margaret along didn't really help. So. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, definitely not. So um, Dana over here is Thomas and Doctor West arguing about payment, which Thomas does. Thomas doesn't have it. He don't got the money. Um, so he ends up offering. A <laughs> I ain't got it. it. He ain't got it. Yeah, um, I'm broke. 
Yeah, he offers up Sabina to Dr. West, you know, suggesting her strange condition would excite him as he's a man of science. So back to the point about um, white doctors experimenting on black slaves, like, you know, the the father of of modern day gynecology experimented on three black slaves with no type of anesthesia, Mm. just, you know, I'll leave your minds to that. But... (sighs) So it's it's not looking good for Sabina. Um, so the doctor ends up taking him up on his offer, and Sabina ain't happy about this. She's like, you know, why do I have to go? And Thomas is like, oh, it'll be fun. You're not going very far. You can visit whenever you want. Um, so yeah, not 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 a good ending for Sabina. Who knows what's gonna happen to her? Um, and Rufus ends up calling uh for Dana, and he Dana's just like you know how do you even know my name and he's like well i heard kevin saying your name and he's like i saw you i saw him dragging you out of the door in my head when i was falling so there's obviously some type of not psychic or emotional connection between rufus and dana that's why they're so drawn to each other um and he asked Dana if he's gonna leave her again or leave him again and he says and she says no sorry so um, Rufus realizes that Dana can read and Rufus warns her like if his father caught her reading, she would get beaten like she stole something. Like that's basically what he said. Mm-hmm. You know, slaves have been beaten like the same way that they had stolen something. Um, and Dana's like, your dad can't tell me what to do, which Rufus thinks is kind of funny. And then he asked Dana to read to him. So she begins to read Gulliver's Travels, um, but they're interrupted by Margaret. Um, and she's, you know, asking if Rufus is comfortable and then allows Dana to read to him. But she doesn't really allow Dana to read to him because she keeps interrupting. She's like, oh, Rufus, are you OK? Do you want a snack? Do you want a pillow? And he's just like, mother, go away. I just want Dana to read to me. Get out. Ugh. And, you know, it hurts Margaret's feelings. She's like, how dare you choose me over that wench? And she <laughs> she runs out and Rufus is like, she'll be okay. She's going to come back later and give me cake. And that's exactly what she does. After Dana uh, finishes reading to Rufus, he falls asleep and Margaret returns with, with a piece of cake for him. And she ends up dismissing Dana. Um, so I, I'll stop there for, you know, I guess you can elaborate on how awful Margaret is. Yeah, that lady is just, but you know, before, yeah, my heart just breaks for uh, for Sabina. It's no telling what's going to happen. You know, you could do a whole, we could have a whole episode on just how just treacherous in those time periods, the doctors experiment on slaves, you know, just something added on to, you know, how slaves were, um, you know, using just so many, just, just unnecessary, you know, um, just inhumane ways Mm -hmm. that you could just do a whole episode on just how crazy that stuff was. But yeah, just my heart breaks when I saw that, when you see her just walking out the door and, um, but yeah, Margaret, she just, Ooh, I, I, this is the first, this is the first time I was actually laughing at something Rufus had to say, because he just like shoot her away. He was like, get away from me. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want to hear Dana Reed. Um, and I just like the way he just kind of, um, and I was also kind of surprised too, though. I didn't think he was going to actually put his mom in check like that, but I guess Margaret is that kind of person that's just all over the place where it just get on his nerves so bad where she, he was just like, get on away from me. I don't, I don't want to deal with it anymore. But yeah, just the way she's like, just all just the coddling and the, yeah, that, that it's just, I don't know. It's just so bad. It's just bad parenting. It's just, they're just, they're just rough. Her and Thomas just, I don't know about Rufus when he, as he continues to grow up. And, you know, hopefully Dana go t- continue to save him because I could just see this boy like a serious trouble 
and Thomas and Margaret are doing whatever they do, whatever they consider just. And it's just like, well, who's going to be there to save them? So I guess it's good that him and Dana have this connection, you know, somebody that he can kind of talk to and kind of voice because his parents are all over the place. But yeah, Margaret, I'm I can, I'm like nervous to see what she ends up to in this series because this is the beginning and she's already on like level 20. So it's going to be interesting to see where she goes from here. Yeah. Jamie? Yeah, um, going back to Sabina, since this episode is named after her, again, my heart just breaks for her. Uh, Black women being used for science is as old as time. And even as recent as the Henrietta Lacks story, like it just is, it repeats over and over again. So uh, that just, it just breaks my heart hearing about Sabina's story. As far as what is happening between Rufus, Dana, and Margaret, what I found very interesting is that, you know, Rufus warns Dana that if his father finds out that she knew how to read, that she would get beaten. Um, But yet, Margaret, who is very vicious herself, who is very, you know, backstabbish type, you know, vindictive kind of woman, um, elects to stay silent about that. Um, and I just thought that that was, I don't know, I, I guess we mentioned earlier how she's a bit of a mama bear and how she's very overbearing over her son and she cares greatly enough about her son that she's willing to overlook Dana's ability to read her literacy um, for the sake of her son having that comfort of yep. being read to him. So... That was, you know, that's that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Margaret is the the epitome of a helicopter mom. She's <laughs> she's too much. Uh, so he, much you know, her. like yeah, like you mentioned, or I, Ryan mentioned, he has one parent that couldn't care less about him, and he has one parent that cares way too much. So I, I don't think Rufus is going to grow up to be a good person, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Kevin and Thomas are having supper, and you know Kevin's asking where's Dana, and Thomas says he's up. You know she's upstairs with Rufus, who's really taking a liking to her. And, um, Kevin's like, yeah, Dana's really good with children. Um, so he offers to reward Dana by sending her uh, a, a warm bowl of mush, which I was like, gee, thanks. Really appreciate that. Um, they start talking about Charles, Charles Brodus, um, who owns 100 plus acres in the neighboring plantation. Um, he's moving to England. And Thomas wants to buy his land. Um, and then Thomas starts to ask more about Kevin and his background. Does he have a wife back home? And if Kevin lies horribly once again and says he did have a wife, but she died. And then we learn a little bit about Thomas. Thomas, um, his first wife, died from fever along with some of his servants and I believe his father or her father i didn't quite catch that but he lost a lot of people and apparently his wife was a very talented musician like kevin and the piano that kevin played earlier in the episode belonged to um his first wife so thomas ends up offering up his home to kevin for a few more days and he will also make some inquiries about the thieves who took off with kevin's instruments and you know that robbed him of his clothes um so that night, Dana tells Kevin that she believes Rufus is the reason why she's returning to the past. Um, we, as viewers, have pretty much deduced that already. And Kevin's really uncomfortable. Like, they they need to go. They've already been there for so many hours. And, you know, Dana's like, we're not going to have answers until we see my mom. 
Um, they end up getting a visit from Margaret, who apologizes for her behavior and thanks Kevin for help for helping them. And then she offers to take Tina, Dana to proper lodgings, you know, meant for slaves. And obviously Dana wants to stay together, so she insists on staying with Kevin. And Margaret's like, no, you need to go where the slaves go. Um, so she kind of reassures Kevin that Dana's going to go to the slave quarters. Um, the room is actually right above Kevin's kevin's own room and if he really needs dana he can just ring for her and so dana's taken upstairs to a cold attic and made to sleep on this a simple mattress on the floor she settles down next to another slave girl who's crying in her sleep and back in his room kevin is calming himself down by listening to tomorrow never knows by junior parker and he's also snapping pictures <laughs> of his room <laughs> Uh, before he falls asleep and then you know simultaneously we see a glimpse of Dana falling asleep as well um so that's how the episode ends so your your final thoughts on this episode yeah I I know Kevin is a is a bad liar but I couldn't tell with the wife thing he I think he got me on that one because I was like is he is he slightly telling the truth on that one or not but um and but also that was an enlightening conversation to learn a little bit about Thomas. So maybe that's why him and Margaret are such like not right at all. Like it's just awkward. Yeah. So maybe that mm-hmm. that that shed some light on that one a little bit. And um, yeah, as as far as like Dana and Margaret, like it's gonna be interesting between those two. Margaret is definitely jealous. You could tell that Dana has that that um pool with Rufus, you know, when you kind of continue to see that unfold of like just their connection they have and what's that gonna do to Margaret because she's just all like you said, helicopter mom you know, all just, just living for her son. So if something goes left or he's not paying attention to her, I just feel like that's a, that's a bad moment for her. That's so that person is like in her line of fire. So she's going to be trying to target and, and, and kind of go after that person. So it's going to be interesting. And I like how she kind of tried to dress it up. Oh, she's just going to be right above you and you can ring for her in this nice quarters. I'm like, girl, is anybody buying what she's talking about? I guess maybe, maybe Kevin was, maybe he wasn't paying attention to what's going on, but I just like how she was trying to like dress it up as much as she could we know it, what was going down and then i was wondering too um when um dana got up into the the attic or whatever the the um the other slave that was sent up that was crying i was wondering if she knew sabina but maybe i was just trying to connect too much she could have just been crying she could have been the, crying over sabina. you know there was like a lot of stuff yeah i, I was like i was kind of wondering if there was a connection there seeing her kind of roll over like you know kind of looking at dana and she's just like let me just i'm rolling over going to sleep and she was crying so and, you know, again, Kevin got his music, you know, his music and his technology. Hopefully nobody catches him with it. But I mean, Thomas might buy it because Thomas just not buying any clues at all. <laughs> so he might not think anything of it. But I'm just thinking about him having this phone out and somebody catching him like, what the, what is this device and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. 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 So we'll see. We'll see. It's, gonna, it's getting interesting. Jamie. Indeed. Yeah. I had touched on it a little bit before, but it was good seeing that dynamic or seeing that. Um, the moment with Thomas opening up about, you know, his wife and that moment between him and Kevin at the piano. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting that we finally get to see Thomas opening up about who he is. And then we see the relationship that Thomas previously had with, you know, his first wife, I guess. Um, And the fact that, you know, now we kind of know why there's some distance between him and Margaret because you don't sense that they're a loving couple at all. (laughs) So uh, he's, he, he's still, it looks like he's still in love with, with his widow and um, he really hasn't gotten over her. Um, And maybe some of his misdirected anger and, and just frustration over 
him not being able to have that person in his life is being misdirected onto his current wife, who he resents um, in a very unfair way. So, so yeah, that, that, that was, it was good to see sort of that layer of the onion peeled for Thomas's character. And um, overall, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it was it was absolutely fantastic. I, I still feel for Sabina. Um, I'm curious why they decided to title it Sabina. That 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 is something that um, is striking to me. Uh, but yeah, curious to see where we go next. Well, I would say also to add to your point about um, the way that Thomas treats. Margaret, that could not be another reason why she's so close to Rufus because she's not getting that love or attention from her husband. So then she overcompensates with her son. So I, I thought mm. maybe that could be interesting. Um, but as far as Sabina, I'm trying to figure out maybe does her name mean something? What does Sabina hmm. mean? Let me see if it, that comes up with anything. That's true. It's Italian. I mean, it's probably a slave name, so it probably doesn't have any meaning to her. What does Sabina mean? I just want to know if there's any relevance to this. Hold on one second. Just oblige yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, because it's like, I wonder, because she's not really a significant character, and mm. um, we don't really see her throughout the rest of the series. So why name the episode after her? Um, it's just about the women of this Italian city called Sabine. It can also mean cat-like. So I don't know. I don't think I don't think mm. there's any meaning behind her name. Um, maybe they're just trying to shed a light on what happens to to black bodies in the past. But yeah, this episode yeah. was entitled Sabina. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll turn it over back to you, Jamie, since we've wrapped this uh, super, super stuffed episode of the Kendra Recap Show. Indeed. I, I will find out because we will be doing interviews. I will find out the meaning behind Sabina and why episode two was titled that way. Uh, but we are wrapping up this episode recap of Kindred and we're going to bring you some more because you know it wasn't just two episodes right uh all of them have dropped <laughs> all of them have dropped on uh fx so you can binge watch them all but we will come out later with some additional recaps and just kind of give you an overview of the show and our opinions and thoughts as we've done on this recap and we uh look forward to seeing you guys next time and and thanks for joining us i, I hope that uh you come back again. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds.